You're listening to Don't Waste Water. The water infrastructure crisis, it's not looming, it's already here. Over and over again, I've seen lead in the drinking water serving daycares. I've seen receiving water bodies that are biologically dead. You know, I've seen places with intermittent water service or water service that they can't even use their laundry because there's so much iron manganese in the system, right? So all that is happening right now. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. There's a market niche here that no one wants to do because it's just a bunch of blocking and tackling. It's really hard work and it takes a lot of boots on the ground. And so that's where we started. I'm your whole Host Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Josiah Cox as my guest. Last year, there were 208 M&A water utility transactions. We were 80 of those. We're really focused on rolling up these small systems, and the states we're in, we've gone to states with the highest amount of fragmentation, the most amount of small systems, and the highest amount of regulatory non-compliance. Josiah is the founder and president of Central States Water Resources. At the end of this year, we'll own 800 individual systems. So we think we'll be the largest single owner operator individual wastewater plants in the United States. Central States Water Resources transforms how water utilities work by acquiring small, often non-compliant systems and then using expertise, technology and innovation to quickly assess and turn them into reliable infrastructure. I bet you've never heard of Central States Water Resources. Please don't get offended. I had never heard of the company either before my interview with Alex Lukopoulos on that microphone a bit over a year ago. I did a little Google Trend exercise before recording. I've compared the occurrences of American Water and Central States Water Resources in search terms and AW wins by a 99 to 1 score. Now I hear you rolling your eyes and telling me it's an absolutely unfair and nonsense comparison and you're widely right. Yet, last year, Central States Water Resources completed 40% of the recorded M&A moves in water and wastewater utilities in the US. Over less than a decade of existence, the company has been closing over 80 moves a year on average, which is far more than any other water or wastewater utility company in America. So why does it fly under the radar? Well, simply because all of these systems are small, located in the states that rarely make the news and aim to better the lives of communities, we all simply ignored they were such distressed about water. There's a major difference though with the projects we discussed last week with Sean Davis. CSWR isn't a charity or a philanthropy. It's a private company backed by Science Water and aiming to turn these non-compliant water systems not only into better, safe and reliable services, but also to make them profitable. If you recall both of my discussions with Seth Siegel and Trace Blackmore some weeks ago, 85% of American utilities have three or fewer employees. This means they lack the critical scale to apply best practices, embrace innovations and new technologies and are at high risk with the upcoming silver wave. So, in a sense, Central States Water Resources is the typical portrait of a distributed water utility that may become the norm in the very near future. I'm carefully using distributed and not decentralized because you'll see that Josiah firmly refuses the decentralized concept. I'll let him explain why. In this week's exploration, I'm scratching the surface of something that could become a major trend, and not only in the US, when you think of Germany's 10,000 utilities or Switzerland's 700 wastewater treatment plants, to just name the two first examples that crossed my mind. If that's a topic of interest for you, let me know and I'll make sure to dive deeper anytime soon. How can you express your interest? Well, you know the maxim I keep repeating week after week. If you like what you hear, share it with a friend, a colleague, or simply your LinkedIn network. 
I'm thrilled to see the number of these shares increase because that means we're all spreading the word and coming closer to my vision. When you understand water, you solve the world. So come on, do it and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Josiah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me. I have tons of questions for you because actually you've been mentioned several times by the other people which appeared on the microphone so far today. <laughs> But I'd like to have your take first at that simple question. What is it that we have to rethink in water? I think we need to rethink the value of water, societal value, economic value, all of that is I think the overarching theme that I think is kind of being processed through by you know everyone who's kind of in the water space right now. Let me jump into it. We had this number shared by Seth Siegel this morning about the 51, 52,000 utilities in the US. And then the question which comes next is what do we do to reduce that number? The obvious answer is that you won't have people just without waters. You need to consolidate and to find a way to, to solve all of that. And that's where actually you are somehow doing exactly that, if I'm right. That's correct. So, we're, we're a water consolidator. And I would, I would even jump and say that I think that number's wrong. So there's 51,000 water utilities, which I agree with that number because those are public water uh, supply sources in the United States. There's about 35,000 sewer utilities. Yeah. And that's uh, both point source dischargers and non-discharging spray field, drip irrigation, all that. So the number of the defragmentation is even higher And it's often kind of mentioned in the popular news, that kind of thing. So when you say you're a consolidator, how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So really, we focus on small, uh, typically distressed utilities is, uh, you know, where we've gone. I started this firm, so I'm the founder of Central States Water Resources and really founded it because I was dealing with situations just like we've seen in Jackson over and over again. So it's interesting. We're sitting in a water conference was great, but the water infrastructure crisis, it's not looming. It's already here. Over and over again, I've seen lead in the drinking water serving daycares. I've seen receiving water bodies that are biologically dead. You know, I've seen places with intermittent water service or water service that they can't even use their laundry because there's so much iron manganese in the system, right? So all that is happening right now. After being exposed to that multiple times, I realized there's got to be a private solution to this very public problem. And, uh, you know, drew up my trusty, dusty business plan and went to capital markets. And it was interesting because very few people believe consolidation could happen because there's regulatory barriers to entry. All water is local because you can only transport it so far, right? So the amount of on-the-ground education and cross-stakeholder engagement that it takes through an individual small system is high. The regulatory burden for a small system all in is the same as regulatory burden for New York City. It is unbelievable how you can't bifurcate those things. So knowing that, we realize that there's a market niche here that no one wants to do because it's just a bunch of blocking and tackling. It's really hard work and it takes a lot of boots on the ground. And so that's where we started. And so started buying utilities in Missouri and then uh, moved to Arkansas. And since we're in 10 states, soon to be 11 states, kind of across the country, we're probably the largest water consolidator 
in the United States today. Last year, there were 208 M&A water utility transactions. We were 80 of those. We're really focused on rolling up these small systems and the states we're in, we've gone to states with the highest amount of fragmentation, the most amount of small systems, and the highest amount of regulatory non-compliance. So we're trying to solve a problem that obviously exists in every state we're in. Does that mean that one of your criterion to consider the utility is that it has to be in a bad shape? Yeah, and bad shape's relative, right? So it can be compliance related in the sense that, hey, it's failing drinking water standards or wastewater standards. It can be aging infrastructure with no financial ability or it could be operational non-compliance. You know, we talk about the industry, the silver tsunami that's coming and this retirement of the skilled workforce. And so oftentimes we're finding communities that maybe their pipes are fine, the plant's marginally okay, but they can't get anyone to run it. All of those factors are the kind of communities we go talk to. Isn't that kind of a risky move in terms of M&A? I mean, to go after targets which obviously aren't in the best possible shape. Yeah, I would say that was, you know, starting this company, you know, it took me about two years to raise my first yeah, round of capital. And that was because of the risk associated environmental risks, public health and safety risks, political headwind risk, all of that, right? You know, the great thing with the water business is we have technical solutions to fix every problem. It's not that technology doesn't exist, it's about implementing it across all these stakeholders, getting buy-in, and including the environmental health regulators, right? The risk is actually clearly defined if you're willing to take this amorphous, nebulous system and get it to a rules-based, here's what's going to happen, here's what needs to happen, and get agreement. So what's your vision? You made 80 moves, right, you said? Correct. So 80 means there are 51,200 left in, in, in the water side and maybe another 35,000 left on the wastewater side. So what's the limit? Is it to have 80,000 in portfolio? Yeah, so great question. I would say for us, we want to be continuous solutions provider. But, you know, think at the end of this year, we'll own 800 individual systems. So we think we'll be the largest single owner operator of individual wastewater plants in the United States. Not large wastewater plants, the American waters in the world run much bigger stuff than we do from a total connection count, but individual systems will be the single largest owner. So I think our goal at 800, we're 1% of the entire market size across the country. So we just made a de minimis effect in, in terms of nationwide. So there's so much work to be done. We really want to be the number one water and wastewater provider for small communities in the U.S. is our goal. And what's your horizon for that? I'm, I'm going to be in this business a long time. So and it takes a long time to do these things. We've got consistent year-on-year -year growth that's way beyond the industry average. I mean, it'll take us years to do this. We're a long-term utility provider. We're not going anywhere. Why do you have to own the utility? Can't you just operate it? Yeah, we made that decision early on, especially with these distressed utilities. And you've got small governing entities oftentimes are running these things, water boards, sewer boards, small towns, homeowners associations. We've kind of seen the whole gamut, small investor owns. The day of the mom and pop utility is over, increasing regulation, aging infrastructure. And so having a partner that's part of the kind of mom and pop, if you will, of the uh, of the industry is really detrimental to, for long-term fixes. So we've picked our path. I'm not saying it's the only path, but we believe it's one solution for the water industry for sure. If you're the biggest consolidator, does that mean there are other ones? Yeah, all the big major investor owns are consolidators to some extent, but they do much larger deals because they're not focused on the small distress guys. So you think the American waters of the world, the essential utilities of the world, the San Jose's, they're buying utilities. It's just they typically do 
three deals, four deals a year, and one of those deals is 10,000 connections, where we're doing 80 deals and our total connection count in 80 deals is 40 or 50,000 connections. So it's about speed of small transactions rather than chasing a fewer amount of larger transactions. Last summer, the EPA changed some of the rules on PFAS, and one of the consequences which was studied as those new rules was that smaller utilities wouldn't like to take the responsibility for eventually delivering water which might be contaminated with PFAS at the new thresholds to their citizens. And hence, they wanted to retreat from the business of being a utility. And, and that was expected to maybe drive some consolidation. I read that on some lawyers' websites. <laughs> and it was like, does that hold water? Not that I want to make a, a pun, but just to, to understand if that's really happening. And if it does, is it a driver or is it a risk for a company like yours? Yeah, first of all, the EPA issued health guidance. They haven't actually issued any formal rulemaking yet. And I would also say from being inside the industry, their health guidance was not helpful. They issued guidance for levels that are below minimum detection. If I can't detect it in the water, how am I going to treat it? Right? You mean that you don't have a sensor for parts per quadrillion? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and I think it, it caused an unnecessary scare for people like, oh my gosh, this is such a huge health concern. And now the current administration is talking about circular regulation for post-treated PFOS materials, which adds a whole nother layer of legal liability and complexity, which will really hurt the small municipalities across the entire country. I think once we get through a rational rulemaking, that will change quite a bit. And that's a multi-year process. So in terms of this prompting a wave of consolidation, time will tell. And I think it will take some time for that to all work out. But I don't see an initial push right now where people are jumping up and down. I need to get out because of this potential pending PFOA, PFAS, your regulation come down the pipe. How would you <clears throat> describe your company? I'll explain you where I'm coming from. Many of the people who discussed with me today mentioned that they see a future in which we go for more distributed treatments and that will fundamentally change the role of the utility and all of that. And somehow, if you have now 800s, utility assets under your control, and you are one company heading that, it sounds like a distributed utility in a certain fashion. So would you see yourself as a new type of utility with distributed small assets left and right, or is distributed a risk for disruption for your business model? How do you see that? First of all, I, I think all the people who talk about this distributed treatment in the water and wastewater business, that's never going to happen. The single largest contributors to life expectancy increase over time centralized sewer. So the idea that we're going to have these decentralized options, they're going to solve our infrastructure problems, it, it's not in the realm of possibility. Now, are there applications in certain rural areas that have a lack of density where those solutions make sense? Absolutely. I totally get that, right? But in terms of overturning the conventional way we're doing water and wastewater treatment, no way. I don't think that's even in the realm of possibility. That's fine, maybe that's controversial. You know, I would agree with you though, running a ton of small systems, we are an aggregator distributed in the term of small systems across the country. So that is very much what we do on every day. Interesting. So you're really absolutely sure that distributed doesn't hold water again? No. It doesn't at all. You think about that. I mean, right now, it's actually going to trend in the other direction. So right now, we have hundreds of thousands of homes, probably millions across the country, that are on septic systems. These are septic systems that were built 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's been almost no regulation of these septic systems and almost no maintenance by existing homeowners. So basically, you have partially treated waste that is dumping out through some drip irrigation system. And we're realizing, especially in like um, uh, impaired water bodies across the country, that these 
these failing septic systems are contributing way more than point source dischargers to environmental degradation, right? So I actually think we're going to see a wave of centralization of these failing septic systems across the country because there's not enough property associated with the, the homes, and nor is there a proven technology that you can fix that issue in such a small footprint with soils that are impermeable, that kind of thing. I think we're going to go the other direction in this country. But that's for the waste with a set of things. So what about the water side of things? You know, water's the same. You know, water actually lends itself to consolidation much easier than wastewater does because it's easier to distribute, it's easier to transport, so we'll actually see more water consolidation rather than less. And I think you'll see that, especially with these small water districts getting taken out by larger water districts, especially as new regulatory mandates come down and the effects of superstorms and people realizing they can't afford the resiliency investments that are required, they'll eventually get out of the business. Are you concerned when you see that next year or this year, depends on the statistics, the investment in bottled water in the US is going to be higher than the investment in utility water? It's the first time that those two curves are crossing. Those curves already crossed in, in Mexico a couple of years ago, and worldwide it's estimated by 2034 that we're more invested in bottled water than in utility water. Does that mean that utility water is a dying branch? No, it's the opposite. It shows how much work there is to do in the water side, right? I mean, you think the average family of four thinks spend $80 to $100 a month on bottled water, and those impacts fall disproportionately on disadvantaged communities. What the problem is we're not valuing water correctly. You think water a tap costs less than a penny a gallon. And there's people that are paying $5 a gallon for water at a store when we can pump oil out of the ground, transport to a refinery, have a refined product, ship it back to distribution, and pay less than $5 a gallon. <laughs> so you think about it, the economics don't make sense, right? But where that comes from is a distrust in the infrastructure that exists today. And I think that's the gap we have to bridge in terms of fixing infrastructure, explaining to people the value they're getting for the water they're drinking. Those are the two bridges we got to cross. How do you overcome a distrust? Yeah, the distrust part, well, one, you got to deliver. You know, we're based in Missouri, so I joke, we're the show me state. So we're, we're going to come into a community, do the improvements necessary, and show that we're going to increase service. When you take brown water and you turn it clear, that's, that's obviously a very clear picture of, hey, this water's been changed, right? I mean, beyond that's educational. Often people don't understand, especially on the wastewater side. They don't get that they flush a toilet, The waste is not in their house, and they don't think anything else about it. But how do you explain that, oh, this is a human health risk, there's potential pathogens in this water, it's lowering your property value. They never heard of those things. So it's a lot of customer engagement, public engagement, stakeholder engagement to kind of bridge that distrust. Well, I would have a ton more questions. So if at some point you have some time to have a long-form deep dive, I'd be really happy to have that with you. For today, I have to be cautious of the time and to let you a bit of time at the conference as well. So let me just round it off with two rapid-fire questions. Okay. The first is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? I've been wor we're working on a, um, a, a tannin project. We're removing biological tannins out of the deep water well, something we've never seen before. And so the filtration is not new technology, it's just The, the actual constituents, something we've never encountered. And we're going to be able to completely remove it, radically change this large community's you know, water quality in a fairly short order. So that's been a pretty fun project to work on. 
And last question, what is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? The interesting one that I don't know where it's going to go is public-private partnership. You know, obviously we're a privatization play, so we're a pure play water and wastewater utility, investor-owned utility. We'll see if that gets traction because these small municipalities don't have the cash flows to do the improvements that are necessary. So can there be an approachment, engagement with the private sector where the municipality still owns the assets? That's yet to be determined. Josiah, it's been a pleasure and I really mean it. Whenever you have a bit of time, I'd love to do a deep dive on the matter with you. For now, I'll leave you to the rest of the conference and thanks a lot. Awesome, thanks for having me. This is it for another episode of the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'd like to hand out a special thanks to Science Water for enabling it. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to give it a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. I don't know if I deserve five stars, but my guest surely does. Do it now, tell it to your friends, and I'll be back very soon with the next interview.